It's an industry that I generally love. I have a passion for. I, I, I eat, sleep. I live for fitness. No, you need to be obsessed. You need to wake up, think about it. You need to go to bed, think about your clients, think about your progress, think about what you can do better. Genuinely, like, just be like patient and take your time. Like that, that is like, you've got to take it all in, in the right steps. You've got to nail what you do in person before you go and like. I don't like to talk about fear. The fears is usually something that makes your worries real. Welcome to the Coach United podcast. My name is Alex Povey. If you're a new listener, the show is released every Sunday on all the major platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a show. Every week, we invite a new guest from the fitness industry or coaching space to share their personal journey in business. We will deep dive into actionable ideas, strategies, and systems that you can apply in your life and business too. You can also access free weekly content in our private Facebook group by searching Coaching Ignited. And if you're a face-to-face personal trainer with room to take on additional clients, head over to coachingignited.com where you can apply for our 30-day client accelerator program and find out more about our business, sales, and marketing training platform. Now let's get into this week's episode. Enjoy the show. All right, so I want to welcome you uh, onto the podcast, Stephen. It's great to have you here, and I'm really looking forward to, first of all, diving into your story. I, we were talking off record how colorful it's been and all the different things that you've done and are doing, so I'd love to get into that and also talk about the mindset on this show, um, particularly geared at personal trainers and some of the challenges that they face. So I'm super excited. So why don't we just start and rewind and go back however far you think we should go back to talk about your journey into this space that you're in now of coaching. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And ironically mentioning space, I don't think we need to go back 13.7 billion years to a little bang. So we'll fast forward to the age of 10 where I was a very mouthy, skinny little lad (laughs) that was about to enter secondary school. And dear old mum sent me to a Taekwondo class to ideally not get flushed down the toilet. (laughs) And 26 years later, I realised how important a decision that was for me in terms of physical fitness, strength, flexibility, you know, that that whole kind of umbrella of, of movement and discipline but also the mental foundations that it laid because I wasn't aware of those until many years later. You mentioned the history. I was always physically based. It was martial arts, the proverbial Ninja Turtle. I branched off from Taekwondo into Shaolin Kung Fu, five animal training, weapons, somersaults on my head, kicking ceilings, rolling up frying pans and bending steel bars on my throat. And then realized that a lot of this, although they were fancy party tricks and it would wow the audience, a lot of these were actually because I was quite insecure. I found relationships and even interacting with people often embarrassing, not sure what to say, feeling like I didn't fit in. And I think the best way of explaining these were they were my calling card. That was my suit of armor. And then you realize that suit of armor likened to a prison cell doesn't actually keep people out. It keeps you in. And I was trapped. I was trapped because all I'd done was 
built walls around me. Then at the age of 38, so obviously there's a lot in between there that we've missed, which would probably make it a three-hour epic. <laughs> Fast forward to the age of 38, when I'd won championships as a Masters weightlifter, got world records in all-round weightlifting and coached internationally and X, Y, and Z. I asked myself a very simple yet profound question. Are you happy? And I'm going to pause there because I want to see what that does to your audience for 10 seconds. Are you happy? Now, what usually happens is, I call it the Djokovic, you can use the Andy Murray, there's a little return serve that appears from your security guard. All's well, who are we to complain? I don't expect much more, life's okay. I let that sink for two minutes, resisting any reactive answer, and was very surprised and equally relieved to realize that the actual answer was no. I built a life of impressing other people. I built a life around almost destroying myself, for want of a better term. I was often training for four to five hours a day, was international to world class in what I did. And if I'm honest, I'm extremely thankful that I can actually stand up and walk straight on a day-to-day basis when I look at what I put my body through. I put training to one side and I began a new journey because I realized that The biggest thing that led to my achievements in the gym, in the martial arts hall, the the grip training, crazy world record attempts at body weight and other stuff, was the mind. The mind pushed the body. Whether I was tired, didn't feel like it, had a chipped nail, sore elbow, hip didn't feel 100%, I showed up and I delivered again and again and again. And I thought, well, if all of these physical results from mental training were possible. What happens if you go into that mental gym and focus only on the inner workings? We call it inner size instead of exercise. Looking at language, what station are you on internally? What do you say to yourself? What social influences form your belief systems? How do you react to stuff that causes pain? What level of control do I have here? Am I simply the spectator or am I the director and the screenwriter? You know, is this running off without me or am I simply unaware of the fact that I can have a huge impact on my own existence? And I took 12 months off, immersed myself in podcasts, TED Talks, literally was reading two to three books a week. Anything and everything on mindset, neuroscience, plasticity, epigenetics, meditation, language. Then I realized how important my psychology degree was from 20-odd years ago, looking at behaviorism and all of the random experiments. And more importantly, modern research in terms of placebo, nocebo, the impact that the outside world can have on us and also what manifests inside that then leads to feelings and the behaviors that are often triggered from them. Where am I now? I am looking out of a lovely window at the seafront and realizing that I am enough and there is not a thing out of place in this world beyond my judgments about it. And my goal, my mission, my why, my purpose 
is to allow other people to experience that by understanding exactly what they can do with their own inner world. And I'll tell you why briefly. If you have never walked into that room and realized that there's a user manual, by default, it is doing its best to keep you safe. There is no interest in health. There is no interest in happiness. Through three million years of evolution, your brain has learned to keep you safe. That is your radar. That's your inner critic. That's the nursery nanny waving a finger, telling you that your business will collapse, that you can't own your health, that you deserve this suffering, that you're nobody special. Who are you to think you can do this? Why? Because as soon as you approach new stuff that you don't have a track record with, there's a potential risk, a threat that could be escalated to fatal. And therefore, we literally have to work with that security guard in order to get permission, for want of a better term, to let them know that we can take control. You can pause. You can reframe. You can stop the unconscious habit from ruining the situation with enough training and experience so that you are largely in control of everything you face and then what follows from it. And I think a very important question there, what are my choices now? And that works at two levels. It's a pattern interrupt. It's hitting the pause button. So I'm guessing people will be familiar with that three-second rising mist where Hulk mode kicks in and there's a snapping at a partner. There's a little bit of road rage. Someone steps on your foot on the underground and we go nuts. What are my options now? Not only does that pause that mist from hitting explosion mode, but eventually it shows us the parts of the map that we have yet to realize exists. For example, the hot coal you are about to pick up never had your name on it. When you do pick it up, you accept it as a victim and then are angry at the world and the situation. Often magnifying that because you then are angry that you're hurt. <laughs> you need to tell people, get a support group, put it on social media, Ask how dare this happened, and that thing that never existed now owns half of your day. The alternative, can I leave it where it is and keep my peace? Do I need to beat my chest to make a statement? If the world can push me and I jump, how much control do I really have? Now, these are quite pressing and humbling questions because it, it takes a very brave person to step into this arena you will learn a lot about yourself. You will face big discomfort. You will potentially have people enter and leave your world because the representation they have of you as a fixed entity changes. And that scares them because we like to take an element of control. In less than 10 minutes, that's me. Any questions, sir? <laughs> that um, was very interesting to, to listen to all those steps. And, and, My pleasure. Um, kind of like diving into all those different areas. I've got a lot of things flooding to my head right now that I want to ask. It's where do I start? Yeah. I've, I've, I've made a note of a couple of things here because I love to write notes as, as people are talking and explaining things sure. just so I can come back to them. W one of the key things obviously was the happiness thing because of the pause, right? Mm. You even got me there. You, you got me thinking, well, am I happy? Am I happy right now? And um, I asked myself, 
There's many layers to that. I think you realise there's many layers to that question, isn't there? The longer you think about it, the bigger it gets because I think an important part just to interject is the goal of life isn't actually happiness. Happiness is great, but happiness is not a constant state. The best thing is to think of it as a garden. If your garden's currently full of weeds, i.e. there's a lot of noise, reaction, busy head, triggered left, right and centre, the idea of joy... Joy is removing the weeds instead of watering them and reinforcing what we don't like about ourselves and life, etc., etc., and constantly complaining. It's almost like the, the blank slate, the tabula rasa. So you get rid of the weeds. And what you're left with is, is emptiness, which is not actually nothing. It's awareness. It's now. It's limitless potential to create. And I think the best analogy there is we're not after a constant state of happiness. We're after realizing what our barriers are towards happiness, but raising our state so that there's more of a constant level of joy. Simply in, well, if I'm honest, without getting too philosophical and profound, if you are listening to this podcast, you're doing much better than people with a headstone six feet over them. You have an immense gift that has an expiry date. Half of the problems that you face exist because you insist on them being problems. And before you call me out, unless you can put them on the table in front of you, I'm going to say they largely exist in your head through reactive, habitual thinking, through empowering the monster that says what you can and can't do, how, how short you fall, how much of a failure you've been. When you can be okay with now, and I think that's a massive thing with clients because the, the mind can teleport. We can view all of our past failures, but we can also project all of our future failures based on what has happened and may repeat. I say to people, you know, take a massive breath in. So let's do that on the call now. Everyone take a massive breath in, scuba diving style. And we're going to hold that. And I want you to hold that while I continue talking. I say to people, there is a massive danger of wanting everything to make sense and be controlled in a random universe based on cause and effect. And if you go back far enough, this is basically why Greek mythology appeared and our early attempts of science. Give something a personification and then you can appease it. Or the double bind, as Alan Watts lovingly said, you know, we, we have a good harvest, we appease the gods, we have plight and pestilence, who are we to intervene with the divine? So, you know, you can't win and you can't win. So what I want you to now do before your eyes pop out is massive exhalation. The best thing you can do for life is surrender. You are supported by a world that has got your back. You do not need to beat it into submission. You are not some blemish on the surface of an unknown planet. You are life on life. You have a unique gift. Instead of overthinking it and trying to understand it, live it. It's an experiential gift. Create memories, travel, meet people. Learn what you're all about. Be willing to sit with your thoughts for more than 60 seconds. And we're just, just going to tap into here with, with mindful awareness. What many people don't realize is we've actually created a barrier to this moment. And what I mean by that is whenever one, anyone sits down, within 10, 20, or 30 seconds, they grab the phone and start scrolling. Yeah. The TV goes up. They look out the window. They go to the fridge. They're, they've got to do stuff. Now, I say, what is the label that would explain that situation? And what they come back with is a realization of boredom. Now, if you think about it, we've actually labeled 
present awareness in a negative way. We are bored because there's nothing going on. Now, the interesting thing there is to be okay with nothing going on is actually the goal of meditation. It's the start of awareness. It's presence. It's the only place you have to live. Can you see a problem with that? Mm. When people can actually sit with nothing for five or ten minutes without getting the great itch, needing to check the phone, put the TV on, and actually be at peace with whatever surfaces, whatever emotion, whatever thought, because beyond judgment, none of them are right, none of them are wrong, but they're not good, they're not bad. They are simply feedback from a radar that through millions of years of threats is doing its best to keep you safe. And it hasn't switched off and it won't switch off. Mm. I want to go back to the mindset thing. Obviously, the whole conversation that we're having now is around mindset and different pockets of that and happiness. But you mentioned something and um, you may have some practical advice here, which people can take abstract and apply which i want to get out of this this, um this podcast you talked about exercise right but then you talked about mind the size is that inner size let's call it mind size inner size whatever you want yeah think of it if you want if you wanted to learn an instrument you wouldn't just i mean think of it you read a book and think you can drive a car it doesn't work does it you need an instructor i mean my background is martial arts I went to one of the best guys and literally learned with them one-to-one group for years. Same with Olympic lifting. All of my coaches have been world-class. And yet with mindset, you know, in the nicest way, what do people usually do? They'll go and get a self-help book. Well, I call it shelf help because I usually end up covered in dust. (laughs) They'll go to a a workshop. They'll watch a Tony Robbins video. They'll, they'll, They'll hear this thing again. It's all about mindset, all about mindset. And we don't really know what to do with that. I think that's a big problem for some people because at one side of the road, there is a lot of woo, fluff, nonsense. And I'm well aware of that. And I know that's why a lot of people are put off with mindset. At the other end, you know, you've you've got the high end kind of, you know, neurological brain chemistry, MRI, imaging and everything else of brain scans. You know, we're not after that either. What I'm more aligned to is a middle of the road practical neuroscience where awareness is the journey towards inner peace mainly because until you know what is going on and why you cannot do anything about it you react to the consequences of it and then when you're empowered all of a sudden you realize what lies at the bottom of labels objections attachments and everything else this moment devoid of all the social conditioning that's told you that you're not good enough and have to look a certain way and things are right and wrong. So let's dive into some actual steps then. Again, back to the action. Because I want some application off the back of all this kind of thing that we're talking about. Absolutely. You can't just think it. Some steps, some actual steps that people can take on a daily basis to put them in a good space, a good mind frame to do what they need to do a business. Beginner's guide to mindfulness before you leave the house, Mm. yeah? So there's a lot of research uh, stating that the first 20 minutes of your day literally impact the rest of the day. Um, And there's a great story. I can't remember who it's from. But what they said is you go back hundreds of years, everyone stank to high heaven in the nicest possible way. 
The tin bath would come out on a Friday. The adults would jump in, the kids would jump in, and, and the poor little lad that went in last often came out dirtier than he went in. <laughs> and nowadays we've got the, the perfume and the nails, this and the aftershave and the hair and the makeup and everything. Everyone's prim and proper. Leaving the house with anger, guilt, shame, regret. So take care of your own mental health. And the biggest thing here is spend 10 minutes on gratitude. Now, gratitude doesn't need to be directed to another person. Gratitude can be directed to self. Quite often, like literally loving the person in the mirror, which is many months down the road for some people, you know, start with like, start with allowing that noise between you and reflection to disappear. Not everyone's ready to focus on self. There's too much going on for them to be comfortable with that. So what I say is bring to mind three people that you love that you appreciate and that you want to have a fantastic day and literally in the shower brushing your teeth trying to work out where the missing sock is focus on them for three minutes each with loving kindness you know there's me third dan martial arts instructor champion weightlifter and roller of frying pans talking about loving kindness for a lot of people that is out of whack and the reason i say that is because i was that guy that would have thought this is rubbish absolute nonsense johnny concrete of the gym and the martial arts hall yet if you are not happy that is the only thing to focus on what are the blockages what are the barriers what you're saying to yourself so 10 minutes of gratitude there's a few different ways to do this you can obviously use family members and friends if you really want to stretch your circle of compassion and this ties in with the metta bhavana which is a loving kindness mindfulness meditation bring the second person out of the woodwork as someone completely neutral the guy at the paper shop the person you see on the underground the the the, the cleaner that does the lifts on a monday or whatever is the courier deliverer bring a neutral person in your world because what that does is that allows you to understand that the world's bigger than your own problems but more importantly that other people are probably going through exactly what you're going through or worse and now, and this one takes time, and I get that. And obviously, beyond labels, you know, we're not looking for a bad or a negative person. But for the third one, eventually bring someone into your world that maybe would be a little bit of a fuzz on the television, white noise. There's going to be, shall we say, a disturbance in the false. You know, this isn't someone on your Christmas card list that you'd invite through to a barbecue. There may be a history of whatever relationship wise. Realize that they're human. Realize that the thread that life hangs on, you've got no idea how thin it is. No idea how close they are to checking out the game. And no matter how difficult it is, send them some loving kindness. I hope you have a fantastic day. I hope there's many years ahead of you that you have a healthy, whatever it is, fill, you know, fill it in with your own words, personalize it, make it a creative experience. What that does is that quite often allows us to cut through all of our objections to seeing ourselves as we are instead of the burdens and the labels and everything else that we've put on. I've got this. I don't like it. I need to change it to be accepted. Gratitude is a good one. You've got many other things. You've got meditation. You've got journaling. You could simply do some, some active yoga. I mean, exercise is a great journey to take towards mindful awareness because obviously endorphins as well 
Qigong and Tai Chi can often be seen as a very moving form of meditation, particularly for people in the fitness industry that almost get the twitch appear when they sit in a posture for five or ten minutes. You know, it's almost like the Antichrist for them. They're more up and about and active. You've got meditation, journaling, read some good stuff, watch some comedy. If you can leave the house feeling good, that actually ripples out into your day. If you leave the house angry based on an argument last night or the fact that you still haven't had the conversation with your boss and you hate your job, you actually bring that rain cloud with you into work, into the home, whatever it is you do. And what that what we often see there is when there's a slight shift into that sympathetic nervous system, we are on edge, obviously digestion and saliva are bypassed, we can often be snappy with people, we can make rash decisions, we can make mistakes easier. I mean, we're wired to, at a low level, leg it or fight. And this is the wrong environment for that. So I say to people, how can I bring a sense of happiness with me into my job? By getting myself in a great place before I leave the house. Any questions on no, that? No, it's, um, it's super interesting what you focused on there. And uh, if I heard you right, it's gratitude. That's the number one thing. You threw in a couple of other things. Uh, so many. But, uh, so many leading theorists have said literally te 10 minutes of gratitude mm. in the morning is the antidote to, to most of the baggage up on yeah, your shoulders. Because I was, I was literally... Really, you can't feel... You can't feel terrible in a state of gratitude. It's like brake and accelerate. They don't mm -hmm. work together. I, I was sat in a, in a van with the group here out in the Philippines heading over to the site, and we were talking about vibration and the highest form of vibration. Yeah. And I assumed that it would be possibly love or anger. Right? Love. And, but he said, this is his opinion or something that he's heard himself. He said the highest form of vibration would be yeah. gratitude. Yeah, because what you do is you are able to extend compassion to more than self. That's a powerful realization, mm. isn't it? Very much. Where does gratitude go? If you think of gratitude as a visual, what is gratitude? It's never in here, is it? It's out there. Yeah, it's gratitude is the ultimate form of giving. It's wishing someone well with no expectation of return even if you don't know them and never get any feedback. Yeah. It's simply giving for the sake of giving. Mm. It's a wonderful and you said, thing. Like you said, it's hard to feel anything else other than happy and grateful when you're you, you, gratitude. You can't. you can't feel anger, yeah. you can't feel hate, you can't feel jealousy. It, it, it's a great yeah. space to be in, feeling grateful. Definitely. Definitely. And I would say above and beyond that, when you've when you've put it out, for want of a better term, to take some back. Why? I'm, I'm a big believer that you, you can't give from an empty cup. And within the fitness industry, there are a lot of people, particularly in the coaching arena with mindset, you know, empaths, heart on their sleeve, a lot of rapport and compassion for people that are literally trying to give from an empty cup, you know, ensure that you are full or at least half full mm. so that you can give without suffering because i do see a lot of people really struggle in their business in terms of boundaries taking calls left right and center chopping prices undervaluing herself working with i hesitate to use the word wrong but obviously not their ideal clients what you've got to do here is realize that 
it's a very good story. I believe it came from Billy Hopkins, a good friend of mine. He'd done a post about the lighthouse and the tugboat. The tugboat rushes out to save people that are struggling and ships. The lighthouse is there as a firm reminder that doesn't need to run around and get extremely tired. As a coach, you better serve humanity as the lighthouse than the tugboat. And to add another nautical <laughs> piece to that, think of the Titanic. A lot of coaches want to jump in and save people, not realizing they're going to drown as well. Mm. You've got to look after self first, and that is very different to selfish. Self first is actually honoring you and realizing that you're, you're no use to the world dead or burnt out. Get yourself in a good place. Become the lighthouse. Know your worth. Know the value that you offer. People will come to you because you are on their wavelength. You mentioned the vibration. You know, you look at Tesla, energy, frequency, vibration. Now, this, this stuff's been there for a long, long, long time. When you resonate with them, i.e. can put into words what they feel, the pain points, all of a sudden you're on the map. You are a potential next solution to their problems. They know where you are. And when the time's right, they'll bang on your door. And when they do, you know the hierarchy. You're the expert. Otherwise, they wouldn't have came to you. And that, for me, is how this works. Mm. I want to shift it into kind of a common theme that I see with personal <laughs> trainers in the industry and coaches. And we spoke about yep. this off off record, um, about fears, assumptions, but mainly the, the fear of rejection. I'd like to get your take fear on it. And first of all, why people are faced with the fear of rejection and why it's such a problem. And then what would be your approach to overcome it so that people can kind of smash through and get to the other side to what they actually want, which is on the other side. Yeah. I mean, fear of rejection basically comes back from our hunter gatherer days. If you teleport back 50,000 years, rejection from the tribe pretty much meant certain death. However, although we've still got that reptilian brain, which has served its purpose, we, we've got no natural predators or threats in most built-up cities. You know, you're not going to be chased by a pack of wolves or face a saber-toothed tiger or anything like that. Now, that radar is still on, and I, I fear we're going to deal with after we deal with the anxiety within about three or four minutes. What I would say with the rejection is instead of a fear of rejection, because it, will, it was never fear, as we'll see later on, realize but be confident enough to actually take that journey to its logical conclusion why because if you are in the middle of the map terrified of the monster not realizing that to the left and to the front and at the uh, and right and behind and every other direction you have options you stand your ground worried about the perceived threat with rejection what is the worst that can happen? So when you're talking about PTs, are we, uh, a client says no to your services. Yeah, correct. Does the world not still spin or does, does your soul leave your body, you, you collapse dead on the spot, never to be seen again? Mm. How many people in the country that you live in, in the 10 to 20 mile radius of your place of work would benefit from your services? Now, in a way, you've got to actually flip this, and this is a very important thing for the ability of reframing. What if the people that say no are actually not an ideal client and build up your confidence because you are confident to still take action after rejection? Isn't that an interesting way of looking mm -hmm. at it? Perspective. Have you ever said, no, I'm not interested to a door-to-door -door salesperson or a tele? 
phone, what have you, or even the, the love in Jehovah's Witnesses. Yep. So an interesting thing here is, I mean, Les Brown, for example, was a door-to-door salesman once. His partner that was out with him said, I cannot face this. It absolutely destroys me, constantly being rejected. And Les says to him, look, every no appears. We've just got to knock until there's a yes. Mm. <laughs> and that's a powerful reframe because, trust me, there are enough people out there with health issues that would require whatever you do as a valuable service, as a, as a mindset coach, as a physio, as a, as a weight loss specialist, strength and conditioning. And all it does is instead of seeing it as this negative thing, you know, it's not personal, and that's a very important thing. I mean, Ricky Gervais gave a great example. You, I mean, you can see we draw from a plethora of, of examples mm. here in his humanity. If I see a billboard advertising guitar lessons, I don't call the guy up, curse him, and say, how dare you advertise guitar lessons because I'm not interested in them. Yeah. I've, <laughs> can I've you see the advert. point? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, hold up. If they weren't for you, then they weren't for you. And that's probably a good thing because you get to refine your pitch. You get to face objections. You get to reframe their language. Now, they may not be a client, but if you've left them slightly better than you found them based on a little bit of inspiration, wisdom, or even referred you to a competitor, I mean, okay, you may see that as a loss, but I see that as a win. Think about that as extending gratitude. Mm. Did I still help you even though I wasn't the part, person to walk with you? Yeah. Because so many coaches, is, is what's in it for me? How do I get more clients? I'm worried about the competition. How can I amaze my prospect or client? How can I over-deliver massively, not just in their lifetime, but so they've got skills that they can even hand down to their children. That's why I do what I do. I, I don't, I, I'm not here for the small picture. I'm here for the, I literally train the nodes that ripple out into thousands of lives. That's why I work with a lot of coaches and PTs. Change one life, you've, you've changed pretty much every relationship they potentially have and are a part of. Yeah, it's the perspective, right? It's about looking it always, Life is your perspective. Mm. It's, it's subjective reality. You can have two people see the same movie. One loves it, one hates it. Why? I can't stand the lead actor. <laughs> you know? mm. Exactly the same movie. Now let's move on a little bit into another element to this, which I see come up a lot, and you'll see the same thing. Like yep. the defense mechanism to rejection. Oh, right. So the assumption yeah, behind it. So yeah. an assumption. So an assumption is being made for protection against the rejection, and why is that happening? Mm, yeah, it, it's very easy to. What we often do with these stories, I got a great little analogy. We fill in the gaps so that we become the hero or the victim, depending what the situation is and the dynamics of it. And quite often with rejection, is we can either take it personally as a victim. Or we can grab our sword and shield and say that, oh, these are just terrible clients or prospects or no one understands how important this is and I'm banging my head against a brick wall. I think something very important here that I just want to touch on as a, as a mini pit stop is to understand what it is you actually do as a coach. I think it was Bill Brandon that came up with this. Name isn't 100% correct, but it's close. And he was talking about pricing. And this is such an important video for coaches. He said, 
you're not for sale. In many countries, that's illegal. <laughs> but you're not for sale. Your services are. And when people say price them based on your worth, you are actually judging self whether or not someone purchases what you sell. Now, this gets a very deep and dirty, murky hole. Because what usually happens when people can't convert? They chuck in a discount, they slash their prices, yep. which is business sabotage mm -hmm. in a way. When people are not interested in your service, as in Ricky and his guitar lessons, that's fine because not every person on this planet is a perfect matchup for what it is you do. I'm a firm believer of looking at what the consequences are of the situation, backtracking to this moment and then realizing that there are options I'm unaware of which allow me to keep my peace, put it down to experience and not go bang. The impact that has on people is life-changing. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. So in terms of some little hacks, because this would be useful, um, there'll be a lot of people listening to this who will potentially be on a gym floor or needing to make a sales yeah. call or needing to reach mm -hmm. out to a prospect and they feel, feel, feel that fear rising through their body and it's gripping from taking action. In that moment, <clears throat> what would you recommend people do in order to just move forward and take the action? Just like a quick... I don't know, ritual or thought process or hack, what would it be? How do they overcome it and move forward as quickly as possible? So, we're going to talk about emotions. I want your listeners to take a seat and take a deep breath and close their eyes. And with your permission, sir, I'd like to get them a little bit uncomfortable in a loving way. Mm, let's do it. I'm going to go through this process right now as you do it. Right. Close your eyes, take a breath. Now, don't go to Mount Everest. You'll know exactly what I mean by that. That's your big kind of out there terror that cripples you. Go more to a number four, five, six, or seven. Think of a thing that you have chosen to do or want to do that scares you, terrifies you, makes you wobble. Close your eyes, open your inner movie studio. And really pay attention to your physiology, your torso, because you're now probably going to have the washing machine going around in the stomach, tightness of breath, your pulse changes, <clears throat> maybe there's the cold sweat and the jitters. So really pay attention to the physiology here. I'm going to teach you how to own and sit with discomfort until it goes away and why it persists. So I'll give you 20 or 30 seconds just to, if it's a short movie, rerun it. Anything that plays in your mind has a biochemical consequence. It can often create how we feel, and then we make decisions based on how we feel. The worst thing you want to do before talking to a person is walk up to it having already messed it up in your head, and therefore bringing doubt, overwhelm, and confusion to the moment. So what actually is the problem? The problem is we have never learned to sit with our emotions. We run from them. Stay with it. Keep the movie going. Why? Because in a sympathetic state, you fight, flight, or freeze. You cannot fight. There is no monster. 
No point freezing. Your life isn't under threat from real fear, which we deal with later. So what do you do? You don't run because you're not terrified. You avoid it. You talk yourself out of it. You tell yourself it's not possible. And I'm going to teach you how to take action. I want you to take a deep breath and exhale. And externally, loud, say to yourself, right now I am feeling overwhelmed and nervous. Own it. Again, once more. Right now I am feeling anxious. And I completely honor that feeling. I am grateful for my nervous system looking out for me. It keeps me safe. I know that this feeling will pass and I am in control. Again, keep the movie rolling and pay attention to the physiology. Now, anxiousness can be very nervous, can be nervous, can be quite nervous. They're all modifications of a similar thing. Instead of creating Godzilla, create something that's more manageable. Listen to the language. Right now, I'm nervous. My physiology proves that. I'm nervous. I'm just honoring that. I'm aware of it and I'm accepting it. And I'm completely fine feeling like this. I know this feeling will pass. Because I'm in control. Once more, so last time now, sit with a movie, face the thing, bring forth that discomfort, and actually own what is happening in real terms instead of running from it. I am feeling nervous right now. I am absolutely fine with this feeling and I honor that. This feeling always passes and now is no different. I can take action despite discomfort. Did that change at all for you? It did for me, and I hope you're asking me, not just the audience, because I'm going to respond anyway. Well, and the audience as well. Now, what I would say here is, depending how good you are at vis visualization, now let's be honest, not many people, well, let's reverse that. A, a few people struggle to visualize. I mean, some of my one-to-one -one clients, there's specific techniques that have no impact on them. And if we were to use the bell curve, I would say with that exercise alone, you'd catch at least 80 to 85% of people, even clients that have been borderline panic attacks and worried that they're going to lose their job, in their car, on their lunch hour, we've dealt with their anxiety and never needed to work on it. That's how powerful sitting with emotions can be. Instead of the consequence, there's a blip on the radar, your security guard saying panic, 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 you can't see an enemy, so what do you do? You run away. And all that does is reinforce the same behavior again through exposure. Mm. And this comes back to this moment. Remember I said that we, we grab the phone or we distract ourselves. Sit on the sofa. Whatever manifests, be okay with it. Emotions and thoughts, see them as passing clouds. Acknowledge them. Don't need to chase them. You don't need to ask why. You're not ill or wrong or broken because you feel a certain way or think a certain thing. 
So right now I feel X. That's okay, it's just feedback. It will pass, it always does. I'm gonna make a decision once it's reduced significantly. And I can guarantee you that literally, I mean, if you wanted to walk around the shop floor, go outside for a breath or disappear into the stock room, get yourself in a great place, anchor that level of control and confidence. If you're bold enough, <laughs> future pace, closing the prospect. <laughs> I didn't set the seed there, by the way. And then come back in and, and literally give it your best, but without forcing it because people can sense that. The best thing you can do is bring an honest self to a potential relationship, hear them out, let them get clarity on why they are there and if you're a resource for them. And then if all the boxes are ticked, let's begin a journey. Mm. And that, that's the art of coaching for me. What, what I noticed there was just the acceptance of it happening and getting comfortable. Yeah, you can't you can't stand in the ocean and stop the waves. You know, no. it's and I don't feel like this. I don't want I don't want to feel like this. There's something wrong with me. You know, well, how's that worked for you for the last twenty? Yeah, years? exactly. And you, you have to get comfortable that it's it's just a chemical. It's a chemical reaction in your body. It's and it's there. To it's feedback. You. It's there to protect. You. It's not right. It's not wrong. No. Yeah, and I love that. I love that because uh, that that is my perspective on it. As much as you're going to feel things, you need to embrace them because you can't Honor them, limit yeah. you. Otherwise, you're going to limit your life and your progression. Of course you things are. are going to well, what happens is you actually you actually reduce the fuse trigger. You get to a situation where not only do you run away quicker, but you'll never show up to that thing because you're certain of the way you'll feel and then need to run away. So you actually create no-go zones in the brain. Mm. You know, the person that in their words, fails at a job interview or actually internalizes it, I am a failure. Notice the difference in linguistics there. Mm -hmm. This person would potentially not leave the house in six months' time, terrified to make a phone call or go for a job interview. Now, be very careful of the information you feed in because of the consequences it has. Would you like to nail down the big, nasty titan of a god called fear? Yeah, let's do it because we're... We're 44 minutes in. I want to finish on something big. So oh, this will take you this will take you five minutes, give or take. And I think this is about as big as it'll ever get. And you'll understand why. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Two years ago, fear for me completely changed. I nearly died several times from stupid things, being blown up as an electrician, drilling through main lines and earthing this and pulling out cables that were still alive. <laughs> Falling off bikes, being run over by trucks, messing around on train lines, etc., etc. You know, I wasn't this clean Zen monk forever. Then two years ago, we lost my now middle child in a shopping centre, and I don't mean he was around the corner and Mum was waving the finger. I mean for what felt like a lifetime—ten to fifteen minutes—we wandered around the shop looking for him. Now, if I'm honest, it got to the stage where I went outside the shops and was looking around and there's escalators and stairs and there's upstairs and downstairs and literally four to five different corridors. I'm thinking, will I see him on the television tonight? That had an impact on me. I thought I'd experienced fear until this episode in my life at the age of 42. What he'd actually done... <laughs> He loved lifts. He'd gone in the lift and gone up to the next floor on his own at about 20 months old. We did find him. 
And for the first time in my existence, I faced Medusa. For those of you that don't know who Medusa is, Medusa's the good-looking lass that turns you to stone with snakes in her hair, Clash of the Titans. In, in Greek mythology, Medusa was the personification of fear, to terrify, which is to petrify, to turn to stone. Now, real fear owns you to the level that you cannot function because you are either dead in seconds or every tomorrow is drastically changed. I consider myself a very balanced and together mind body person i have never had to hold on to a shopping rail to stand up and breathe for the first time in my world i was faced with true fear now what did i learn here i learned something very important not only unconditional love but that for many many people they label fear to situations that was never fear. Fear is not a volume dial where there's a little bit and a bit more, and I'm really feeling it now. Fear is absolute. Fear will either kill you or change every day. There's a big difference between wandering into a job interview and being nervous and facing an alpha predator that could destroy you in seconds. What did this do for my life and my clients? It made me realize something very important. The language we use to make things bigger than they are stops us taking action. There is no fear of public speaking. There is no fear of live video. There's no fear of content in case you are trolled. There's no fear of calling someone up that was interested in your program. Same as we just owned nervousness own fear by actually describing what is going on it was never a 10 because you will know a 10 and most adults have actually never experienced a 10 and if they have it isn't on a weekly basis it's one two or three times if you are nervous own it i would rather not do this because i currently feel nervous and have the cold sweats the yardstick here could you do it if a million pounds was on the table? Could you do it if I took one of your kids away and you don't get them back until completion? True fear. Would you swim 100 yards in shark-infested waters that haven't been fed for 10 days? Now, I hope you can see there's a big difference there, isn't there? Yeah. So when I hear people say, oh, I've got a fear of public speaking, I literally get them up. And I get them to give me a number, 1 to 10. And often these are 6 or 7 or 8. They're trembling, they're shaking, they've got a dry mouth. And I'll get them to say where they're from. And instead of talking to the audience, they'll talk to me. And I'll say, look, you've just been speaking in public and you're not dead. And that is a pattern interrupt for them. That's a game changer. Because what I now say is you have a wobble of public speaking. You are nervous about live content. You are a little bit anxious about being trolled. But it's never going to kill you, and it's never fear. And as soon as you own it at the level it exists, guess what? You've got a toe in the doorway and choices to take action and to move forwards and realize that the monster you've created actually only exists because you insisted on labeling it a fear when it was never fear. 
This has been an absolute game changer for people. One client had a fear of public speaking that became a wobble of public speaking that done a workshop to 80 people, recorded it on a dictaphone, transcribed it to an ebook, and that is an action taker. Can you see what's possible when you get out of your own way? Mm. Yeah. For me, there's a very simple statement. It was never fear. You're no true fear. You, know, you turn the corner on a motorway and there's a truck head-on flashing lights. You feel that that rush, you know, literally, if you don't make a split decision, you're potentially not here anymore. That's, that's true fear. Not, mm, I'm really worried about that live stream tonight. Will anyone turn up? <laughs> mm. So there's three key pillars that I've taken away from this, and that's perspective, acceptance, yep. gratitude. And I would say that perspective is really being, a, being aware of your power because you create your reality unless you believe otherwise. You can blame the world and curse all the stones that are being thrown at you and you know be, be a victim, not realizing that most of this actually comes from me. What am I saying? What, con, what, what station am I living on in terms of the content that's going through my head on a regular basis. How am I showing up in the world? Now, this is a big one for a coach. Are you aligned with your message? Mm -hmm. Or are you desperate for cheap equipment and you know, cursing all of your clients and your competition? Because you are broadcasting the message whether or not you're aware of it. And obviously what you put out comes back with interest. Yeah, love it. I just wanna thank you so much for coming on and doing this show. I don't think we've it's been ever an done, absolute pleasure. I don't think we've ever done a live exercise um, in that depth on this show before. So that's a first. I loved it. And there's a ton of great nuances in this show. Um, I hope everyone listening got a ton of value, yeah. which I'm sure they did. For anyone else that wants to follow up, find you, look into your work, see where you hang out and what you do, where's the best place for them to go, Stephen? I would say just look for me on Facebook, Stephen Aish, um, add me, drop me a message. What I would say for people visiting this is while the content doesn't change, you do as an observer that starts to get a different perspective on your own map. Take notes, pause when there's a light bulb moment and ask yourself a question. Well, two questions. If I do this, what are the consequences of it? So that brings awareness to triggers. What can I learn from this and do differently, i.e. pausing and seeing a paradigm shift that gives you options instead of habits and reactions? And that, that for me, is pretty much how you take back control of a mind that wants you safe. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen. Really appreciate this. Absolute pleasure. Enjoy the fantastic work that you are doing in freezing cold, 41 degrees Philippines. <laughs> I will do. I will do. I'll, I'll have a cold drink for you, sir. Yeah, and I'll send you some pictures. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episodes. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, I would be really grateful if you could leave a short review or post a comment on what you'd like to hear in future episodes. And if you're a face-to-face -face personal trainer with room to take on additional clients, head over to coachingignited.com where you can apply for our 30-day client accelerator program and find out more about our business, sales, and marketing training platform. See you on the next episode.